Isn't it a wonderful thing that he is constantly watching over us? As is mentioned by others, if you are a visitor here, thank you for being here. We consider you our honored guest. We hope that you'll find that the services are according to God's wills and the thing that I speak of this morning can be backed up and put directly from the scriptures because that is my desire. Oftentimes, those of us that speak use this phrase that we put a lesson together for ourselves. And that's really true a lot of times. A lot of times the things that we want to speak on are because they're things that trouble us or things that we have learned that have to do with our life and hopefully it will translate into something you can grasp and understand and appreciate as well. I want to speak this morning about renewing of our minds. With the COVID problems that we've had where we went for like a year or so without meeting as a congregation together because of covid Fortunately, we had the ability to look at sermons and stuff on the internet, and that was great, but it wasn't here. It wasn't being here. And I want to talk about the renewing of minds because I myself lost some faith. I myself weren't as strong as I once was because of isolation, because of not being together with fellow Christians. And you can see what the psalmist David said. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's important that we meet together as a family. David, he was happy there at the temple where God was. He said, let us, the people, come together. And that being, being there, he was happy when somebody said, let's do that. Why are you here? Why are you in this building this morning? It's because you feel like you have to be? You feel like because you want to be? I think if I went around and asked individuals why they were here this morning, we would get a number of answers, and they would probably all be correct one way or another. Here's the little quiz that I've got. Are you here because to worship God? Are you here to sing Singing and prayers, Lord's Supper, fellowship, or all of the above. Or maybe something else that I didn't put on the list. I wanted to speak just a moment about these things. First of all, when it comes to worship, as far as I know, there's nowhere in the New Testament that it said that the, congreg the children came together to worship God. We are to worship every day. We are to give homage to our God, we are to look and we are to look at his creation and realize that he is the only God and we are his creation. But surely this morning, us here, we're worshiping God. We're singing praises to his name. We are admonishing him, acknowledging that he is our God, that he is the only God. He is here. We are worshiping together as a family. But Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well? Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You remember the question that the Samaritan woman had? She said, you know, our father said we worship here on the mountain, and you Jews say that we worship down at the temple. And he said, you know, the time's going to come, and the time is now, 
that worshiping in the mountain is not where you worship. Worshiping in Jerusalem is not where you worship. You worship within the heart. If you have an opportunity to go to Europe and go and see some of the cathedrals there, they are magnificent. Some of them took over a hundred years to build. And when you walk in them, they're awe-inspiring and they're beautiful and they're huge and they've got all kinds of details and art and graphics and all kinds of stuff. But that's not where God is. That's not where you worship him. You worship in the heart. Jesus continued and said, God is a spirit and they that worship me must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, It's in the heart that we worship. God wants us to recognize him and to give him homage every day. Well, you might say, well, I'm here because of the singing and because of prayer. This congregation is blessed with good singing. In my lifetime, I've gone to churches in numerous places, and some of them have really terrible singing. They're just, it's not their fault, but they just don't have singers. We're blessed that we have some. Now, on the other side of that, I've been to congregations that have better singing than this congregation has, but not near as many. But surely we are to sing. And to sing, I can be in the car driving to Amarillo and I can sing. But it's just like the isolation that we have from COVID. Is that as good as being here and singing? Colossians 3 and 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. You and I as a congregation, we sing. And when we sing, it's there to admonish each other. It's to make us feel good about the words that are being sung. And we are to teach through those singings and words. Ephesians 5 and 19 says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. How much comfort is there in a congregation of like-believing Christians come together and sing praises to God together? Sometimes I get tied up in trying to do my part whether it's the lead, the bass, the out, the tenor, whatever. And what I forget is, is to really look at the words and to understand what we are saying to each other so we can be admonished by that, those things. Well, I'm sure people would say, well, we're coming together because we're, we're going to do the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, hopefully. And remember it's the Lord's sacrifice. And truly, we find in the scriptures that, that the apostles did that as an example And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, meaning to come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. So, yes, we're here to do this. And I know it was scripturally correct, but when we were isolated from COVID and we were home, some of you had some small groups, which is great, but it was typically just me and my wife and we would have communion on Sunday and yes it was communion and we remembered his sacrifice but there was something missing what was missing was all y'all what it is for us to think of our Lord to remember his sacrifice as a family how great is that 
It is something that we should look forward to and it is something that I missed when we were isolated. Jesus in Mark 14 and 22, and as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all, all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. I'm sorry, it's so much better to do that here with y'all than it is to do it home by myself. I missed it. It tends to cause your faith to diminish when you're not together. Well, others may say, well, I come for the fellowship. Fellowship is important, as we've already talked about. Look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter and the 24th verse. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. We use this phrase to encourage people to come to the assembly. But this took more, more importance to me when we were isolated. I understood that it's important that we're together at times. We don't want to forsake the assembly because if we do, we'll be weak and we need to be here. I don't know if many of you knew this or not, but when I was still at home, I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me Sunday morning to church and Sunday evening to church and Wednesday to church. And if there happened to be a meeting anywhere around, it was seven days I got drugged. Fortunately, I've grown out of that. So it's important that we're here in the assembly together. The wisdom of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 said two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. If you want to increase the strength of your faith, be with other Christians. If you want to increase your faith, come to the services. Be part of the organization that Christ put together, his church. In Romans 12 and 9, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Now, I have a lot of friends that are in the world. They're not Christian, and they're not here, and they are my friends. But we need to prefer each other. We need to prefer those that are here because that are the, the people that will give us strength and help our faith. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. This is encouragement in the fact that just a few believing Christians can be together realizing that Christ is here. 
but Christ is here. He's in our congregation. He's here with us because we are believing Christians like believing. We can admonish each other. We can help each other. And the strength that he is here because we are trying to do what he wants us to do. It's important to be here. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it towards all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren. What did he ask them to do? He says that ye increase more and more. We need to make a concerted effort to be have more fellowship with our fellow Christians to do more for each other, to try to grow in that aspect of fellowship and not just stand on our laurels, but to try to do better in the future, to increase more and more. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. He said, you know, you're edifying yourselves. Y'all are, and that's good, but he said... Do more. Because you're already doing it, but let's do more. That we can be comforted together as we edify each other. I want to change topics for just a little bit, a segue into this, because one of the reasons we need to do all those things is we are a new creature. And I think sometimes we overlook the fact that what does that really mean? The scriptures are very plain. We are a new creature. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That doesn't mean that as a Christian that we've answered the gospel, we've had our sins washed away. That's not the end. That's the beginning. It doesn't mean that I've made a little shift in my personality or I do things just a little bit different. The scriptures say, no, you're new. You're different. You're a new creature. You're something else than what you were before. In Romans 6 and 3, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of life. We need to be different. It needs to be a new life. Once we have had our sins washed away, we've done that part of what Christ has asked us to do, then we need to move forward. We need to realize that we're different. We're not like we were before. If you remember back in John, the third chapter, where Jesus was talking to Cornelius, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That confused Nicodemus. He said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's ridiculous. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, thee, ye must be born again. To be born again is a representation of being different. 
to be something else, something you were not before. In Romans 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, they present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You ever looked at that word transformed? The Greek in transformed is metaphorphous or foo however you want to pronounce it. But see how close it is to metamorphosis, which is also the English word that comes from that Greek word. We know what metamorphosis is. Metamorphosis is when a caterpillar, a worm, makes a cocoon and goes inside and months later comes out as a butterfly or a moth. To me, this is one of the, the startling arguments you could have for people who believe in strict evolution. How can a worm ever make it to be a butterfly? They are two independent creatures. They don't look right. If you took a worm and a butterfly and took it to someone, some alien that didn't know anything about our culture, you'd say, well, this and this are the same thing. Would they believe that? Or this can be converted into this. Would they believe that? No. The worm is turned into a butterfly. It's different. In Job, one of Job's friends says, how much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. What an analogy. Mankind is a worm. And when we answer the gospel call, we have our sins forgiven and we follow what Christ wants us to do. Guess what? We become a butterfly. It's not the same. It's not that I just changed my life a little bit. No, I become a follower of Jesus Christ and a child of God. We are converted. We are transformed to something different. But as we said, just having our sins washed away in baptism and arising a new life, we need to mature. The scriptures talk about us maturing in Christ and not just being a babe. In Hebrews 6, it says, Therefore, leaving the principalities, the, I'm sorry, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of the faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on our hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of the eternal judgment. And this will do if God permits. It's important that we teach the principles of the gospel. It's important that we teach baptism, repentance. All those things are important to do, but Paul to the Hebrews said, okay, you've done that, so now let's move on. Let's be more mature. Let's grow and not stay babes. Justin, this Wednesday, and I already had this in my lesson, so I'm not copying from In Romans, the seventh chapter, he was the one who did Romans, and he did a really good job. And we've all read this, and it's really almost tongue-tying to read it. But Paul said this, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me... 
that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now that's hard to read. And I started thinking about this, and this is sort of a trivial example, but it's a really good way in my mind to understand what he's saying. I need to lose a few pounds, and I know I do. And I know that if I did, I'd physically feel better. I would be a healthier person. All of that would be good, but guess what? My stomach starts to grumble, and my tongue says, man, that piece of pie really would taste good. And I know what I'm supposed to do is not eat it, but what I do, I eat it. And I know that I ought to stick to something really good like vegetables. No, no, I'd rather have meat and pie. Sorry. So I'm back and forth and back and forth. And like I said, it's sort of a truly example, but that's what he's talking about. He says, I know what I ought to be doing, but sometimes I don't do it. And then there's times that I do things that I shouldn't do, and I know I shouldn't do that. Thanksgiving, I ate so much that I was miserable. And I was sad for it. I said, why in the world did I do that? Well, the Apostle Paul struggled with that in his spiritual and physical life. There's a number of things that you can get from this, though, and one of them is an encouraging thing. If the Apostle Paul, who is endowed with all kinds of spiritual power and healing, established a huge number of church, worked for the Gentiles completely, did all of these things, if he struggled with trying to do what was right and trying not to do what was wrong, at least I have comfort in that, hey, when I struggle for those things, he overcame it. And so maybe I can overcome it. It is not easy. Continuing there, it says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. For I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He said, you know, sometimes I just, I know what I should do and I don't do it. And sometimes I do things that are evil. And I need not to do that. And he struggled. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. If it wasn't for our Savior Jesus Christ, we couldn't get our sins forgiven. And when we sin, there would be no way for us to become close to God again. So I said, you know, Paul said, I struggle. And I struggle bad. But thank God. Thanks be to God that Jesus Christ is my Lord and takes care of me. We need to know the truth. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, Of these things put them into remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they serve not about the words to no profit. Sorry, they strive not about the words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved of God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, not rightly dividing the word of truth. He told Timothy to tell those brethren, he said, put these things in their remembrance of what they should know. And that they need to go in those things and don't strive over a lot of the details and to be subverted because of the things get changed in men's minds, but still remind them what they should 
No. And in Titus 3, in maturing in Christ, the writer there says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man and be no broilers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish." disobedient, deceiver, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hate, hating and hating one another. He said, we don't want to be doing that anymore. We're supposed to be a different creature. We're supposed to have matured away from that. We're not to be that way. But instead, but after that the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He said, those things of the world that you used to do, don't do them anymore. But because of the kindness of God that sent us a Savior, that we need to work, we need to do what he wants us to do. We need to have ourselves washed and regenerated and renewed. As a mature Christian, we need to not do those evil things that we used to do and think, but instead we do the good things because God has sent us his Savior. Renewing of my, our minds, renewing of our spirit, remember, renewing of our souls, all of those things have to do, as we've discussed, with us being together, with us encouraging each other, with us doing the right things, for us studying, for all of those things that will make us better Christians, but will renew us, help our faith to go and not slip. We read in your hearing this morning, the reading, David said this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which has, has broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. You know, David was writing this after he had been confronted of greatly sinning with Bathsheba. And he said, you know, I need to change. I need for you to forget these things that I have done. And in the 10th verse, it says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We need to have our spirits renewed. They need to be right. We need to have a clean heart. We need to do all the things that David prayed to God to do. We need to renew our minds so that we are stronger Christians than we were last week.